Welcome back to Boilers and Beyond. I am your host, Jordan Jones. We are just 32 days away from the kickoff of the 2020 Big Ten football season. And here on the show, we're going to be spending a lot of time talking everything Boilermaker football prior to the season's beginning on October 24th. However, lost in the shuffle of last week's football news coming early in the week and the schedule release coming on Saturday was the NCAA's approval of a November 25th start date for college basketball. Today, and what should be for the final time until November, I'm going to spend the episode talking about Purdue basketball, talking about college basketball in general, and what this season is going to look like due to the changes COVID is having on scheduling, particularly in the non-conference. Um, I would be remiss, however, if I did not begin the podcast by discussing uh, five-star guard forward combo player Harrison Ingram's commitment to Stanford from last Friday. Uh, this was a player Purdue was very strongly recruiting uh, very early in on in the recruiting picture for Ingram. Uh, he, Ingram chose Stanford over Purdue, North Carolina, and Michigan in addition to Howard and Harvard, but I never felt they were really in the picture. I thought their inclusion was more of a formality. But I just don't know that I can say understand this commitment. Um, I would have understood North Carolina. I would have understood Michigan. Uh, Those are schools where I think it's very obvious that you can develop a good college career. You can receive good exposure in the media. And you can prepare yourself for an NBA career. Stanford, I don't get it. Um, You know, sure, obviously Harrison took academics into very strong consideration, his commitment. I commend that. Uh, All of his six finalists are strong academic programs. Um, No one cares about Pac-12 basketball. The attention paid to it is very little, particularly Stanford. Uh, When you get outside of UCLA and Arizona, and sometimes Oregon due to the Dana Altman, Phil Knight effect, uh, Pac-12 basketball is fairly irrelevant. I just don't know that I get it. Um, You know, UNC seemed to have a good push towards the end uh, because of the flashiness of the program. And, you know, he chooses a program like Stanford where his commitment tweet last I saw didn't even have a thousand likes on it. Um, it's not a passionate fan base. It's not a program where you're going to have a sold out gym every night. It's not a program where he may ever have a sold out gym. I'm not sure I understand it. Obviously there is momentum building towards Stanford. You may remember in this 2020 class, they got a five star in Zaire Williams. Um, but Ingram probably won't play with him. Zaire Williams figures to be a one-and-done player out there. I'm not sure I understand it. Um, Purdue now moves on to Trey Kaufman, who is probably the last player right now that it would make sense for Purdue to land. Um, I'm not hearing a lot of good about Purdue's chances with South Bend Riley guard Blake Wesley. I think that... From what I've heard, it's on both ends that it's probably not a fit. Whereas Trey Kaufman, um, you know, that's a guy Purdue wants to get bad. Kaufman is a 6'9 forward out of Silver Creek High School in Sellersburg, Indiana. 
uh, Purdue, Indiana, uh, Virginia, North Carolina, and Indiana State are his final five. Uh, I don't know when there's going to be a decision there, but you know Purdue has Caleb first already committed from Fort Wayne Blackhawk Christian Academy and wants to fill that second scholarship in this year's class. We will see where they go to do so. Kaufman is the logical answer, but there are also, you know, there are questions there given the fact that him and first play the same position. Um, I really think if Kaufman and first were to come together, this would be Purdue's best and most talented recruiting class uh, since the baby boilers came in 2007, a class that finished ranked number six in the nation, according to ESPN. But to get back to today's topic, and that is this upcoming college basketball season, uh, the November 25th start date, which was approved last week, uh, the same day it was announced that the Big Ten was returning to football, which is why this got lost in the shuffle a little bit. It's an interesting start date. Uh, November 26th, excuse me, November 25th falls the night before Thanksgiving this year. Um, you may remember back in 2018, the official start date of the season moved for the first time from a Friday to a Tuesday. Uh, that was an awesome move by the NCAA leadership and the D1 Basketball Council. Uh, they got it absolutely right by keeping it on a weeknight this year. Why would you want to com- compete with football? You know, there's no reason to. When you start basketball on a Friday, I remember for years Purdue would play that Friday and that Sunday, uh, both against not-so-great opponents, both by games at Mackey Arena. And, you know, you lose that in the shuffle of football. You have a big November weekend of football with, you know, primetime games that determine the outcome of the BCS and college football playoff pictures. The conference championship matchups were getting set. Why do you want to lose college basketball right in that shuffle? You know, they started on Tuesdays. It's a was a great move. The Champions Classic got so much bigger those three years that they started on Tuesdays. And, um, you know, something I just still really think they got right here is keeping it on that Wednesday. We do know the uh, reputation that comes with the night before Thanksgiving. Uh, as many friends of mine that are college-aged like to call it Blackout Wednesday, uh, one of the biggest drinking nights of the year. But I do think TV ratings will be all right, um, and it's going to help too that you know there's some good matchups there, and we'll get into that. But the selection of the date, November 25th, was really, really calculated, and it's really good thinking from Dan Gavitt, the NCAA uh, Senior Vice President of Basketball. He pointed out in an interview with CBS Sports that you know, 76% of Division I schools will not have their student bodies entirely on campus by November 25th. Lots of schools, similar to what Purdue is doing, are releasing their students to go home for Thanksgiving break and not inviting them back for on-campus instruction until the beginning of the spring semester. Uh, They don't want students coming back and forth with the COVID concerns. So the in-person portion of the semester is over for 76% of these schools by November 25th. Granted, I there's plenty of skepticism to be had with that approach. 
Um, this certainly does not ensure that players are going to be in some type of a bubble on campus. Uh, I can confidently say that many students who both live near campus within a driving range um, and live in off-campus apartments or rent off-campus houses, there's going to be plenty of students coming back between Thanksgiving and Christmas and coming back between Christmas and that start of the spring semester early. But, you know, it does decrease some risk of the virus being transmitted. Um, I don't think you'll ever be able to operate completely in a bubble, but this is good thinking by the NCAA. Um, anything to reduce risk is good at this point. Anything to get the basketball season going getting games on TV, and making that money for the schools is really good at this point. Um, one of the other effects from the announcements from the NCAA is that the maximum length of the season, which for years has been 31 games, is now reduced to 27. It makes sense. You took a couple weeks off of the schedule, reducing the maximum amount of games, and that 27 is only for teams who play in multi-team events, uh, also known as MTEs, the non-conference tournaments, which you see nearly every major conference team playing in nearly every season. So the Maui Invitational, the Battle for Atlantis, the Cancun Challenge, uh, the tournament down in Destin that Purdue played in last year, all of those are the MTEs I'm referring to. Um, and you know, this is going to make scheduling really weird. You know, the big 10 already plays 20 conference games every year, and that's not changing this year of 27 games. That's only, that only leaves seven available games to be scheduled for non-conference. And the vast majority of these teams have MTs already Purdue playing in the Cancun challenge, which has been relocated to Florida. Uh, Indiana playing in the Maui Invitational. Um, you know, a lot of these teams are already scheduled to play in MTEs. For Purdue, that takes out two games. For Indiana, Maui Invitational takes out three games. Uh, the Big Ten ACC Challenge still sounds like it's a go. The Gavit games for eight of the 14 Big Ten teams, that sounds like it's still a go. That leaves very few open games to be scheduled. And those are the games that usually get contracted out in buy games. This is going to be a really, really hard year on mid-major uh, college basketball programs. It's already been a tough year on mid-major athletic departments. You see so many of these schools who depend a lot on the money they get to go, you know, in our neck of the woods, you look at Indiana State, they depend on the money they get contracted out to go play at Indiana or at Purdue or at Kentucky in football. Now they may not get that money to go play at Indiana or at Illinois in basketball. That's a lot of money these athletic departments are losing out on. You know, there's 353 teams in Division One. I'd be willing to say no more than a hundred of those make a lot of money off their basketball program. They just don't get the attendance, and they don't get the merchandise sales, and they don't get the TV contracts. The big conferences, they do great. Uh, they're, it's a goldmine in the big conferences. But for these small schools and these small conferences, it's going to be a really, really hard year. 
assuming that every individual conference has its own testing protocols, which is what it sounds like it'll be. That's what it's looking like in football. And I see that extending into basketball as well. But, you know, if every conference has their own testing protocols, what does that look like for the high majors and the prospects of them playing against mid-majors? We're seeing it in the Big Ten now where football in the Big Ten is doing testing every single day of their student-athletes. If that's what's going to get extended to basketball as well, there is no way a program like Valparaiso or Evansville can afford to test their basketball team and their coaches and their managers and their SID every single day. It just can't happen. They don't have the money that Purdue does. Does that completely rule out playing uh, teams like that? I don't know. Would Purdue or a high major team help test their opponent the week of the game? I don't know. But, you know, this whole disparity in testing is really what's going to cause problems trying to schedule these non-conference games. Um, You know, with MTEs, will the tournament hosts be providing tests? I don't know. Um, Yesterday, CBS Sports' Matt Norlander uh, reported that cities such as Las Vegas and Indianapolis are pushing hard to bring dozens of teams to town for MTEs. And this is kind of what I think non-conference is going to look like this year. Um, With COVID, I understand it. You are in cities like Las Vegas and Indianapolis where you can almost reserve an entire hotel uh, for teams and almost have them in a bubble for a week or so. And these tournaments sound like they have the potential to be massive. I don't know exactly how it would work at from Norlander's article I read, it's certainly in the developmental stage at this point and far from being a finished plan. But this is probably the best chance for mid-major teams to get their non-conference games in. You know, if you're going to have a MTE, I don't think it's going to be all, you know, eight teams or all 16 teams are going to be power six schools. Um, I think you're going to want to get mid-majors in there as well. And I do hope that there is some decency in the ADs and the head coaches to try to allow the mid-majors to survive this year. Um, I really, really hope this is a one-year thing. I don't want to see massive MTEs of all Power 6 programs become the norm in college basketball. I don't want to see out in Vegas every year a 16-team MTE with two two teams from every power conference and Gonzaga and Butler. I'm not – I don't want to see that. Um, there's so much good that comes from mid-major basketball. I really, really don't want to see that go away. Even in Indiana, there are only four D1 basketball programs in the state that really support themselves without depending on buy games. Purdue, Indiana, Notre Dame, Butler. The rest of them, they all depend on some buy-game money. And you look at it, they're great basketball programs in the state. Indiana State and Valparaiso are responsible for two classic March Madness moments back in 79 and 98. 
Ball State has a fairly strong history themselves. Evansville, too. These are programs that I don't want to see go away. And it's up to the Power Six ADs and head coaches to ensure that they kind of look out for these smaller schools this year and don't let it all die. Now, transitioning a little bit away from the season as a whole into Purdue specific, um, what does this season look like? The schedule. We'll start there. Purdue opens up on November 25th with Illinois State in the Cancun Challenge, and we'll follow that up the next day on Thanksgiving Day with either Clemson or Mississippi State, and that will be your Cancun Challenge. Um, you know, Purdue should be the favorite to win this tournament, but Purdue also has a lot of question marks. Um, following that, they have presumably the Big Ten ACC Challenge. Uh, Purdue will be playing in the Gavit games this year, and Purdue is still scheduled, I believe, to play in the Crossroads Classic. Uh, this year, they will get the Fighting Irish of Notre Dame. And what should be the last year of the Crossroads Classic, I believe, is that contract finally expires after this year to the relief of Purdue fans who have spent way too much time and money in Banker's Life Fieldhouse watching Purdue really struggle in that event over the past decade. Uh, Purdue did lose a non-conference bye game confirmed with Yale. The Ivy League canceled all of their athletics prior to the new year. That game was scheduled between the holidays, I believe, maybe January, excuse me, December 28th. Uh, but Purdue will not be playing that game with Yale. So, you know, if I'm correct, with two games in the Cancun Challenge, then a Big Ten ACC, a Gavit game, and a, the Crossroads game, that only leaves two more open games left. Um, I would presume that's where Purdue would look towards a bye game, but again, we'll see what that looks like with mid-majors and high-majors scheduling games together. Um, I do think that it's realistic that the Big Ten games are going to be played at home arenas. I don't know that I see a bubble being created for Big Ten basketball, and that would be what makes the most sense if you're not going to play games on home courts. But we saw the Big Ten presidents uh, approve college football with playing games on home courts, not, excuse me, home fields, not in a bubble. And I think that allows me to infer that we're going to see Big Ten basketball on campus sites. I like that a lot. I, I don't want to see games in a bubble. I really don't want to be watching, you know, all 14 teams collide into Indianapolis. Then you have games being played at Banker's Life, at Hinkle, at the IUPUI gym out at the fairgrounds. I really don't want to see all that. I want to see them on campus. Um, it can be done. And as I've said before, there is no reason to be spending athletic department money for both teams to travel to a game. Uh, I'm confused about the athletic department money right now. Every time I drive by ross Stadium, the brand new video board is on. Those things aren't cheap to leave on. I just don't necessarily get it if we're doing the John Purdue more than a game campaign because... You know, you need to keep, you need to save money. Well, then don't turn the video board on all the time. But again, I, I just don't see the need to spend more money than you have to at this point. Um, 
for Purdue. Again, no in-person class for Purdue between November 24th and January 18th. There are going to be a lot of games played in between those dates. Um, A lot of games. And I could see the Big Ten attempting to front load the conference schedule a little bit to hammer through games prior to all the students coming back to campuses. Uh, It would make sense a lot. But, you know, kind of what's it going to look like for Purdue as well? I think this is the case for all Power Six programs. You should be ready for records that are less impressive than you're used to. Um, you know, if there's going to be a lot of Power Six games in the non-conference, you're going to see more teams lose non-conference games than we're used to. Um, and I think if I'm correct and it's going to be difficult to schedule mid-majors, you're not going to be able to see teams schedule five or six of their seven games against weaker uh, mid-major schools. I'm not specifically targeting Indiana, but they're a great example of a school that does that. Um, you know, for Purdue, there may be as few as one game against a mid-major, and that's in your MTE against Illinois State. Um, past that, you know, I don't see Purdue being an overwhelming favorite in any game. Uh, I do believe this is what Matt Painter prefers both now and in the long run for Purdue basketball. We've seen his non-conference slate get tougher and tougher every year. Um, Even last year, they played a really competitive non-conference slate and went into Big Ten play with a not-so-impressive record. Basketball is different than football. Basketball, there is real reward for scheduling a tough non-conference. There isn't in football. But Matt Painter has been all in on strength of schedule and the relevancy it has on your seeding. Uh, if you're a high-level team who's for sure going to be in the NCAA tournament or just your selection, uh, if you are not going to be a high-level team. But you know Purdue is a field of 68 contender in hoops, and they're going to do everything in their power to make sure they get in that field of 68. And that's why Matt Painter schedules as difficult as he does sometimes. Um, Purdue was not a strong team last year. Their record was not very strong. But I don't know how easy it's going to be to improve upon it this year. Um, you know, Purdue was 16 and 15, but the Big Ten's going to be really deep. And 20 of your 27 games are against Big Ten teams. Uh, John Rothstein has Purdue as the ninth best team in the league coming into the season. Um, I'm not entirely sure that I think that's accurate, but I also can't blame John for uh, having some doubts about Purdue. He has Iowa, Wisconsin, and Illinois as the top three. Purdue wants to be a lot closer um, to those three schools. They want to be in the four to six range much more than they want to be in the seven to nine range. I do want to know how different Purdue's outlook would be if Matt Harms had not elected to leave. I've said it before. I'll stand by it. I know some Purdue fans on social media and on the goldenblack.com boards are happy that Matt Harms left, saying they didn't think he had a good year last year. Here's your question. Do you want Matt Harms coming off the bench for Travion Williams Or do you want Emmanuel Duwana and Zach Eady coming off the bench? I have seen zero reason to have any confidence in Emmanuel Duwana. 
even have remote productivity for Purdue. He looked completely out of place last year. And I do believe Zach Eady um, was recruited and given a scholarship under the impression that they would be able to redshirt him as a freshman. So uh, I think e- losing Eastern may end up being a really good thing. Clearly there was some off the court drama with Eastern. And I think having Ivy Morton and Newman all getting minutes at guard uh, an off ball guard spot like Eastern would have played. Uh, it's going to be really good for the offense. It's good for the future to get them on the court. Um, I've yet to pick up Athlon's college basketball preview magazine, but I'm looking forward to check it out. Um, I, as you can probably tell, I devoted an entire episode to the college football preview magazines. I really get into them. Um, I enjoy reading them. I've got all of my college football preview magazines in my desk drawer right next to me right now. Um, but you know, the narrative around Purdue is going to be interesting. Purdue is never overvalued by the media until last year. Uh, A lot of faith was put into Matt Painter as Matt Painter made it pretty clear. His players did not put a lot of time into getting better during the off season. And it showed this year, what's the media going to do with Purdue? Uh, I would be shocked if Purdue had any players, recognized in you know early first and second all-conference teams, early all-defensive teams. I really don't see Purdue having any players getting a lot of love preseason. So it's time for someone to step up, emerge, and make a name for themselves in what's sure to be an odd season. But seeing the narrative around Purdue basketball in the preseason hype that's going to come out over the next month, month and a half, is going to be really, really interesting. Uh, Before we go, we are still doing our lock of the week here on Boilers and Beyond, even though we fell to one and one last week, a tough loss. We had Wake plus two and a half and the Demon Deacons lost 45 to 42 to NC State in a game that really probably should not have been that close. Uh, NC State kind of controlled the game. Wake came back late, but couldn't hold on. This week, we are staying in the ACC. And we're going to take Louisville plus two and a half at Pitt. Uh, Pitt really struggled to pull away last week from a really bad Syracuse team. Uh, Dino Babers is losing a lot of momentum up in Syracuse. Pitt only won 21 to 10. Couldn't cover the 21 point spread. Didn't come close to covering. Louisville played in the game of the week last week against Miami. Um, and they struggled, gave up a lot of points, but I am a believer in Scott Satterfield, the Louisville Cardinal head coach. I think Louisville is going to get back on the winning track this week. I like them plus the points. I do think they're the better team than Pitt, and I don't know how much home field advantage is going to help Pitt in an NFL stadium with no fans inside. That's all I have for this week's show. Thank you for spending your time with me today. Next week on the show, we will begin our four to five week process of previewing the 2020 Boilermaker football team. We'll be back with the Q&A sessions for Boilermaker football. Give us a follow on Twitter at Boilers Beyond and hit us up before next week's episode. We'll be back next Tuesday for more of the biggest news and high level analysis of Purdue athletics. So be sure to tune in. Until then, stay safe.